0: Roughly 1.3 million students will fail to earn diplomas this year, according to Education Week. Today's guest is working with an organization that is working to fight that. This is Using the Whole Whale, stories of data and technology in the social impact world. My name is George Weiner, your host, and the chief whaler of wholewhale.com. Thanks for joining us. We have an excellent podcast for you this week, speaking with the Director of Digital Strategy, Shakira Hill from Communities and Schools National, an amazing organization that, uh, as we discuss, acts as a bit of a bridge between schools and the programs offered by government services that that the students need in order to succeed. They are very much a data-driven organization. However, they also balance stories and programs inside of that. It's very fascinating because the, uh, the digital strategy team is just two years old inside of a 40-year organization and doing amazing work, as you will hear, breaking down silos and really taking advantage of the different types of data available to them. Can't wait for you to, to hear what Shakira has to say, jumping into the interview now. Digital Strategy of Communities and Schools at the National Office, Shakira. Thanks for joining us.
1: Thank you so much, George. I'm really happy to be a part of today's program.
0: Well, I know we are coming toward the end of the year, which is a busy time for for you and Communities and Schools, of course. Just to start, uh, what is it that you do at Communities and Schools? And and give us some flavor on, on what the nonprofit does.
1: Absolutely. So at Communities and Schools, as you mentioned, I'm the Director of Digital Strategy, which means that I lead the organization's national office and all of our digital initiatives. That's everything from website user experience, managing our social media specialists, looking at our digital content, working with our digital content specialist on areas for infusing new digital content innovation and opportunities to establish some long format storytelling. Um, In communities and schools, what we do is we provide the largest, um, we're the largest provider of what's called integrated student support services. And so essentially our mission is to surround every student with a a community of support, empowering them to stay in school and succeed in life. And so let's take Cheyenne, for example, and Cheyenne lives in a low income area and her parents are working Two jobs but are still unable to make ends meet and Cheyenne doesn't have um, access to adequate healthcare so she can't get glasses to see in school. Uh, Her site coordinator or a caring adult would be an individual who would advocate on behalf of Cheyenne and work with both her parents, the community and her teachers to get her access to eyeglasses so that that she can be fully engaged in her education, stay on track um, to stay in school and then ultimately succeed in life.
0: That's really interesting because, you know, we talk about graduation rates and we think about teachers' classroom size. We think about, you know, the the, the area of the school and the different factors of it. And, it. and like in George language, it's like, oh, you're like this bridge between all of the government services, local and national services that – technically these schools and students more importantly may qualify for that may be holding them back but it is impossible to sort of navigate the the bureaucracy out there so is that a fair assessment like a kind of like a bridge and a blanket around that intersection yeah <laughs>
1: That is an incredibly succinct and um, way of articulating it. Yes, that's absolutely right. And it's funny because every year we do a large event where we convene our affiliated network and they come and get tools and resources for managing their local um, affiliates on the ground. And our theme uh, for September 2018 is around bridges. I won't give it away because- Don't give it away, don't give it away. But I love that you use the term bridge and and that's absolutely right we work inside schools because schools are where students are every day and having that caring adult who can act on their behalf advocate for them mentor them and make sure they have everything from basic needs to mental health um, wellness is truly the core of the work that we do
0: and I was checking out your site because I'm a huge geek and that's what I do And I was blown away by the fact that you literally have a navigation item for our data. Oh, my gosh. Like, (laughs) I I mean, big heart emoji for this. Uh, An incredible, like, so you have our stories, our model, our data. And then, of course, the, the how you can help and other elements. But you've given it top billing. And it's clear yeah. when, you, when you dig into this and your report, that it is, uh, it is not nice but necessary, especially because of the complex issues you're tackling and the types of metrics. Can you give me a little flavor? I mean, speaking as the head of digital strategy there, uh, what led to the, the decision to put data uh, so prominently I guess on your site and in your communications?
1: Yeah, absolutely. One of the things that we found in developing our website is actually relatively new. It went um, through a redesign, I believe, early 20, early this year, actually, and looking at the previous website and the analytics behind where are what we call our constituents, which would be uh, donors or consumers for Folks who aren't in the nonprofit sector were previously navigating the last website. They were very much interested in how the communities-in-school model works and what makes it so effective. Um, we are a learning organization. We have a robust and incredibly brilliant research team who puts out reports and data all the time, we wanted to make sure that we marry the data with these rich stories that we're telling about the impact that our site coordinators, so that caring adult, are having in these young people's lives. And we wanted to bring that to the forefront so that our donors and, and our policy makers and our educators who were interested in the work that we're doing understood why that it was working. So. Two reasons, just to um, bring it home for for listeners, were that we knew this was a space where interested um, donors and constituents were already digging through, um, and we know that by saying we have a proven model that works, we had to defend that. And so, bringing it right after our stories was a seamless way to show folks that. We have these powerful stories where here is the data that supports how we're integrating our model into their lives and why it's
0: so effective. It's interesting. And I really want to dig into this because I think uh, for the sector and the, and the people listening, it's, oh, sure, if we had the budget to do that, of course we do longitudinal, longitudinal double blind studies that are you know reported with data scientists and whatnot. Uh, I think for you all though it's it's hand in hand it's like I don't think you could maybe get the the attention of investors and also maybe the focus of your staff without some of these numbers and just to just to share because I'm on on the site you know you're you're looking at 1.48 million students served last year uh, yeah. 2300 schools but more importantly you can then look at numbers like uh, you know something as nuanced as 88 of your students met or made progress toward their academic improvement goals, which is like a lot more nuanced than, uh, let's say your 90% of our students stayed in school, 99% I should say. 99, nine, yep. Like that's a, that's a big number um, mm-hmm. for that. Uh, talk to me a little bit about how this evolved inside of the organization, and maybe a bit more about what goes into collecting these data
1: yeah far be it from me to step on the toes of our research team but i can talk about um the partnership building that that happened internally to make sure that the data was being collected and shared so our our communications team is comprised of the digital team our um, media relations team as well as our brand um, team and one of the things that we found was that there was so much rich data that the research team was collecting um, but those stories weren't getting told because for better or worse we were afraid that the data would go over um, people's heads and so there was some breaking down of silos and for those who are listening that, work in nonprofits, understand how easy it is for those silos to get built and how for everyone's work to sort of operate in a vacuum. Well, we did away with the silos and are actually continuing to do away with our silos. And we said, research team, we want to bring you to the table. We want to hear more about the data and the reports that you're putting together so we can share that um, so that we can externalize it, making it palatable for everyday folks. So individuals who want to give a check don't necessarily understand where their what their money is going towards., um, and we put a lens on that by using storytelling. So we don't have the charity water model where. One, $25 builds a well in Namibia, but we can say that by through a donation, you are benefiting or you are helping the 1.5 million students who we are currently serving. And by saying, oh, and by the way, there are still 14 million students under the age of 18 who are currently living in poverty. And so there's still more work to be done. So it was building authentic and genuine relationships within our organization breaking down the silos and then taking the data and say how do we present this in a way that it that it's plain speak to the everyday person we have you know, the the reports that go to our policymakers that are very wonky, but for the everyday donor, for the everyday constituent, and even for many of our education leaders who are outreaching too as well, we're breaking those numbers down in a way that they can understand. We're providing that data visualization that directly impacts them and their work and shows that by contributing to communities and schools, they are making a difference.
0: And I think it's interesting that you make that point of sort of segmenting and presenting the types yeah. of data that match the audience story and needs uh, of that audience. On that, I'm, I'm kind of interested, actually, as with all of these numbers floating around, my other knee jerk reaction when I see like a page of just number after number, all <laughs> impressive, is that, uh, you know, if you give us all of the things, none of the things matter. Mm-hmm. And so internally, yeah. internally, you know, when you're when you're having those quarterly meetings about you know your your key objectives and your own internal KPIs, if you know if I'm putting you on a desert island or your team on a desert island, and and, I, and I'll only deliver one metric because that's the kind of scenarios I like to put together. <laughs> so you're stuck on this desert island. Which metric? Uh, or KPI is your team pulling in to make sure things are are running smoothly?
1: My goodness. Well, first I want to say, as a good practitioner, it is my personal philosophy that all metrics matter. But for the sake of the exercise, man, this is t- this is like torture to to pick one Desert metric. Desert
0: island. Desert island.
1: Desert island. Okay. Well, it would have to be a
0: behavioral metric. It
1: would have to be a metric that allows us to understand um, the behaviors of our constituents a little bit. It would probably be average um, gift, (laughs) like how much um, someone is willing to contribute um, to the organization, because that gives us the ability to to forecast what our capacity is in terms of impact. If we know what our our average gift is and if we understand um, what what capacity we have to bring in unrestricted funds, we can we can forecast and project how much work we can do and then what what communities we can serve going forward my goodness i am sweating after that. So, <laughs> yes
0: so so we switch here into your department right and this is the interesting thing because if i if i pin down different departments i would get different uh different kpis which is fine right and, and as we move to the end of the year uh you know i'm looking at your uh your annual report which is uh which is stunning with the key findings and uh, I imagine you're pushing that out there. What are the sort of things that you're now focused on moving into Q4, which I imagine is, uh, you know, it's the big season, it's a big season of giving. Uh, yeah. What kind of what efforts are you looking at in terms of making this report work for you?
1: Absolutely. Um, So just to clarify, fundraising actually doesn't live with our digital team, but we do support our development team um, with individual giving, particularly online. And so for our team, as we're gearing up for the end of the year, we're doing the things that I believe every organization is doing around this time. And so we're optimizing our website experience. We're taking a careful look at what the testing strategy is going to be. We're doing some really cool um, donation page testing, which I encourage every organization to take advantage of during this time of year. Um, We're looking at our social presence and what our earned average uh, reach currently sits at as baseline. So what is our capacity um, going in before end of year and then where we're going to net out um, as we look ahead to 2018. And then just some more qualitative um, data. We're looking at how impactful our storytelling is gonna be. Uh, yesterday, our team, the digital team met actually with the development team to talk about end of year for the past two years. And the year, 2015, we had used a ton of stories as part of our online fundraising appeals. It felt overwhelming for both teams in that year, but then in 2016, there was not many stories used as part of our fundraising efforts, and we found that there wasn't a lot of incoming donations online. And so, as we look ahead for December, we're finding that right balance of how to tell the stories, what kinds of stories will resonate with our constituents, because we don't have that um, immediately immediate direct impact um, model like a a Tom's or a charity water may have, we have to be even smarter about Telling a rich story, telling a student story, which can sometimes be very complicated. I mean, our students deal with a myriad of issues, um, but also not overwhelming our constituents, making them feel like, well, if I only have $25 to give, is that really um, making a difference? So we're looking at our, our user experience and the metrics behind our website. We're looking at our qualitative data and saying, what's Storytelling storytelling capacity, do we have? And then we're just all hoping for the best, like every other organization is um, this time of year, and that we're gonna move the needle a bit more than we did last year.
0: So this is interesting because now we've we've wandered into yet another team that your digital team is working in conjunction with. And you mentioned the the phrase there, breaking down silos, a little while ago that. You know, data used to live with your 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 data team, your analyst team, and right. then on the fundraising side, you know, their numbers about you know what they're chasing lived over there. Uh, can you talk yep. to me? Just give me a visual, um, and for people listening, give me a visual of what does your team look like in terms of size and expectation, and how do you break those silos down? How many teams are you working with internally?
1: Yeah. Well, our team, the digital team, is Lean and Mean. There are three of us. We have our social media specialist, Megan Hull, who's been with the organization for almost three years now. Um, And then we have our digital content specialist, Elizabeth Newton, who's actually really new to our team. And then me, who oversees the, the team. We have a lot of conversations. There are a lot of meetings. Our work is both technical and relational. And so because we're breaking down those silos, we are um, allowing ourselves to be at the table with every other department. And so that's setting up monthly check-ins with our research team that is weekly meetings with our development and constituent and engagement team. We do a lot of work with our policy and advocacy team. And so we're forging relationships and we're also making sure that every one of our colleagues and our peers also feels as though they have a seat at our table. They're bringing us to their table we want to make sure they have a seat at, at our table as well and so we do a lot of educating we educate our peers on what it means to have digital impact um, we allow them to bring their ideas just because they're not digital experts it doesn't mean that they don't have good ideas and we're doing a lot of knowledge sharing i've learned a ton about um policy and advocacy this past year Um, because we have partnered with our advocacy team in a way that I just hadn't seen across any other organization.
0: It's amazing. Uh, How long has the department been around in general?
1: The digital team has been around for about, in earnest, I would say the last two years.
0: Mm -hmm. And you've spent 40 years in schools according to the website.
1: That's right, we're celebrating our 40th anniversary this year.
0: Again, the numbers are are crazy. So like, it it seems like this is a absolutely critical department, and only around for two years. It is a, it's a bit of a new, maybe even a bit of a risky move. Uh, Obviously, I'm talking to the director, so I'll, I'll choose my words carefully. But you know, I see this a lot in organizations dealing with. All right, we've got the social media person over in communications, kind of. We've got the. Uh, analyst maybe, or a fundraiser over here. Why centralize this? What sort of benefits do you think the organization has seen as a result of this shift?
1: Having the digital team centralized. I think it's important because not having the digital team centralized runs the risk of throwing spaghetti at the wall and hoping something sticks. Um, We do operate as an agency where our peers come to us um, as our clients, and even though they're our colleagues, we we present our recommendations to them in the way that an agency would their their client, and so we're taking all of the. The requests and the pain points and the initiatives that they're running, and we're as a team sitting down. We're developing content calendars. We're developing strategy maps. We are giving the digital lens to the work that they're doing by not having it centralized. I don't have faith. Not that I don't believe in my colleagues, but I know I understand that everyone is is trying to hit their goals and objectives, and that digital often becomes an afterthought having our team centralized, make sure that we are also meeting everyone's goals and objectives while also looking at um, what it means to digitize the work and the science behind doing that thoughtfully and carefully.
0: And, of course, giving you the time to do this very interview, which I appreciate.
1: Yes. (laughs) All right, Shakira.
0: Are you ready for the pro versus con game? I'm so ready. Bring it on. Oh, boy. We'll see what you say after this. All right. Uh, For today's pro versus con, you can choose either side. But uh, here's the scenario. Uh, We're at communitiesinschools.org, the website redesign moment. And you have to take the argument for, in your navigation, putting our data first or our stories first. Ultimately arguing, do stories matter more or do data matter more for the purposes of our communication?
1: All right. I'm going to go pro for our stories going first.
0: And I will take our data then. Uh, Okay. Uh, I will let you go first then. Why do you support that side?
1: Okay. Well, we know that many of our constituents we have labeled them as informed and inclined to care. And so these are individuals who are savvy and educated on the issues that many of our students are facing. And so by hitting them with data first, it's almost preaching to the choir. We want to put our stories first because stories have an emotional appeal to them. It allows us to humanize the issues and allows the donors and our constituents to relate to the problems in a way that by presenting the data first removes them. We know that individuals make decisions 80% likely because of um, an emotional reaction to a decision point. And so we want to first establish that emotional connection and then rationalize the decision with the data secondary.
0: Interesting. And I would counter that our audience, as you mentioned, are intelligent. They they do know the the story of Jessica and Anne, and fill in the blank. What our key differentiator is here is our data, is the fact that we're talking about 99% staying in school. And when our informed audience is already aware of the school-to-prison pipeline, that's the kind of thing that we can say down the road, We are reducing the prison population by X percent. Now let me tell you a nice little story about a student in the school. So our data should be first and foremost on the website. How do you respond?
1: My response is it's a well articulated point. But again, I believe that humanizing the issue allows our constituents to take ownership of it. If we want these folks to stay as part of our community and feel as though they have an investment, they're not investing in the data and the outcome, but they're investing in and they're investing in Kendrick, they're investing in making sure that these young people not only graduate, but that they are going on to succeed in life. The data is gonna be there and the data is gonna live to a point, but the impact that someone makes on a young person's life, no numbers can be put around that.
0: In response, (laughs) I have to say that it would be irresponsible not to wrap Numbers around that so many other organizations out there have the picture of the kid the family on their annual report And I feel like we just we, we blend into everybody else when we say yet another story and here are seven uh, success moments uh, And also i've been reading a lot about these millennials and the fact that they are all outcomes driven They care about the impact as measured by and they're not being fooled as much not that we're fooling anybody but they're not being swayed as much by by these stories as so much as like, look, uh, you know, 91% of uh, our folks are graduated or received a GED, like that's real. And I think that's what millennials are looking for. How do I you respond?
1: I think you're right, George, and I wonder if in a perfect world we could do both and present the stories and the data together like we've done on our website. <laughs>
0: All right, Shakira, that has been the pro versus con game. Fiercely fought. Uh, clearly, in, in this uh, in this dialogue, our stories did, in fact, win. But uh, I imagine how similar is that to a conversation that maybe has has transpired in the past uh, for your organization?
1: It spot on. And, it usually, and I don't know if this is true for um, your past interviewees, but it's usually the comms team that's like, we need to put the stories first. And then the data folks who are like, we need to put the data first. And we did, <laughs> I do, right? Like I do believe though, that we landed on a, a very good um, mix of both. If you go to our stories page, um, you'll see that we have a data, a data strata that pops up, um, that has those numbers right there. So you're getting both, you're getting that student story and that data lives right on that page, um, which is reinforcing everything that you and I just talked about. Okay.
0: Uh, before we move into our rapid fire, I want to go back to holistically the uh, you know the, the data collection and how that really is annualized. You're coming up to you know at the end of the school year. You begin to start thinking about uh, what are the like what does that collection machinery look like? How big of an investment uh, and focus is it for the organization?
1: It is a huge investment here at communities and schools. As I mentioned before, we're a learning organization and we're very big on um, what some folks around here would say failing fast. But one way for us to be able to do that is to make sure that we're collecting the right data points. Our communications team every year or every other year invests um, some of our communication dollars towards doing national research our research team is doing data collection every year um, by working with our affiliates across the organization to see what our impact is on the ground. Our development team is also doing their own set of data collection and working to best understand what our long-term value is for our um, donor list. And so it's a huge investment, but the impact of that and the sustainability of it is well worth the dollars. We have, a high return on investment when it comes to the data collection.
0: Maybe you can give me a for instance on that because it seems like, you know, uh, for for the folks playing at home that you're like, wait a minute, you're investing all of this money in measurement when it could just be going right into the field. So do you have an example of a program that was modified, changed, or uh, created even as a result of data that were collected and analyzed?
1: Um, I can speak more specifically to the work of the marketing team. Um, when we looked at our brand awareness across the country, um, it was really important for us to understand where we benchmark in terms of how many people are familiar with not only just communities and schools, but the communities and schools model. Model, And we found that there was a huge opportunity for us to be able to to grow awareness of our organization's mission. And so we invested research into finding those folks who already knew about um, our organization and our model and just learn from them that qualitative data, learn from them how they came about communities and schools, what resonated when they heard about the organization. We collected um, research from our site coordinators and folks who are act as staff. Um, with communities and schools and then we created a marketing campaign using the language, using the entry points that the folks that we heard from across the country shared with us. This is allowing us now to, as we develop content for our research team, for our development team, for the organization as a whole, to be able to make sure that we're doing just what we talked about at the start of the interview. We're segmenting our audiences appropriately and we're using the right messaging for those audiences that we are when speaking to donors, really looking towards that informed and inclined to care and presenting them with the right data points to show that uh, our work is making an impact in the communities that they're most concerned with. We are working with our policy and advocacy team on understanding what are the states that are still in need of understanding what ESSA is and the ESSA model and how that makes um, an impact on a school district. And so organizationally, um, we are using this data to make strategic decisions about the programs, both um, by department as a whole, as we're looking at our strategic initiatives for the next five years.
0: Awesome. All Rapid fire rounds. Uh, please keep your answers uh, brief and focused because we've got a lot of questions coming. All right. Uh, alrighty. First one. What is one tech tool or website that you or the organization has started using in the last year? Tech
1: tool that we've started using in the last year. Flack.
0: How's that gone?
1: We love it. I love it. <laughs> I think we love it. We, we use it. Um, especially within the marketing and communications team, just because our work allows us to be so expedient. Um, so
0: it's been great. What tech dragons or issues do you need to slay in the next oh uh, year or so?
1: Ah, uh, yes, our website. Our website and making sure that we are um, integrating into a CMS that is more flexible.
0: What is coming in the next year that is getting you and the team the most excited?
1: South by Southwest. Our CEO, Dale Urkiaga is speaking on the education track panel and we're very excited to be a part of one, just a cool experience and two, having um, our mission shared in this really innovative space.
0: Can you talk about a mistake that you have made maybe earlier in your career that has shaped the way that you do things now?
1: I can talk about so many, but I think um, holding on to ideas for too long. When you're young, we have a tendency to think that this cool idea is going to be the next big and brightest thing, Um, and having that closed-mindedness doesn't allow for diversity of thought to make the idea into something bigger and better. And so I had to learn how to hold my ideas with an open hand. Yes, I think it's great, but by bringing in different stakeholders and allowing people to poke holes in it, and maybe even giving up that idea altogether, I could have pivoted and and learned things a lot faster.
0: What is your key piece of advice for other nonprofits trying to tackle this idea of measurement and digital impact?
1: So, I have two pieces of advice, but I'll keep it quick since we're um, wrapping up. The first is don't be afraid of seeing um, your data in full view. I know that for organizations, in particular digital teams, the marketing and communications team, there's a tendency to want to use vanity metrics to defend the work. And so we gravitate towards the inflated numbers, but it's okay if um, there's smaller numbers or the less sexy numbers are showing up. All data tells a story, a powerful story, Um, and it's important that we look at that story and be honest about what it's saying to us. And then the second piece of advice I would offer is don't be afraid to take the scenic route. Um, I know that we live in a culture where everything is fast paced and um, people wanna move towards a thing that gets them to the fastest results, but most sustainable impact Comes from long-term growth strategy. We've learned that as an organization, being here for 40 years, and we're learning that as a team, that the, the scenic route is what gets us to the most beneficial and sustainable outcome. Uh,
0: what is something that you think you or your organization should stop doing?
1: Doubting ourselves.
0: Do you believe that not-for-profits should be able to go out of business?
1: Absolutely. That means the work is getting done.
0: And if you had a Harry Potter wand, a magical wand, for the industry, waving it across that could uh, change one thing, what would it do?
1: Man, it it would break down silos. It would allow more folks to come to the table with shared ideas, diverse thinking, and an openness to learn and to grow.
0: If you could jump in the hot tub time machine and go back... Two years and one month to the initial creation of the digital strategy team, what would you do or say to that group or yourself?
1: I would say don't be afraid to go big. Come up with the big ideas, defend them, and stick together because it's going to be an incredible ride.
0: And on that note, Shakira, thank you so much. How do people find you? How do people help you?
1: You can find us at on Twitter, at CIS National. Again, on Twitter, at CIS National, or on Facebook, Communities in Schools.
0: Well, this has been delightful and informative. Thank you so much for taking the time during your busy season to have this chat with us. Best thank of luck.
1: Thank you so much. Thank you, Georgia. this is great.
0: Amazing, hearing how critical this digital team has become in just two years working inside the organization. Clearly, clearly they are data-driven, right? They are uh, investing in the the reporting uh, and analyzing on their on their numbers in terms of programmatic impact, and it it really shows. However, you know if you know data falls in the forest and no one's there to hear it, to analyze it, it doesn't go anywhere and that's where that communication aspect the balance of stories the balance of using that in in fundraising and on the website is so critical because you know you have to operationalize it it's clear also that the role of the digital team is more than just on the front end of twitter and the website posting pieces it's making sure the right people internally uh, are mixing the right blend, we'll say, of you know sugar and spice, the data and story, that are that are making sure that impact uh, is making its way to the front page. And, and I'd encourage you, please go to their website, check out that annual annual report. It, it's fantastic. It is uh, it is presenting those numbers in a way that that are truly compelling, uh, shareable, and hopefully they are rewarded this giving season by many many checks. Uh, Well, that's all we have for you. This was episode number 79. You can find those resources at wholewhale.com slash podcast, where we'll be uh, listing the links that we discussed and and tips for you to do more with your data. Good luck. This has been Using the Whole Whale, stories of data and technology in the social impact world. Resources, as always, may be found at wholewhale.com slash podcast. Thanks for joining us. This week's music brought to you by the one and only gregthomasmusic.org. He is awesome. Thanks, Greg. Your tunes are dulcet and sweet, which both, I think, mean the same thing. But they are. Uh, Thanks, man. Also, check out thomasaudioediting.com for your post-production needs for podcasts because he's really good with audio.